0: I might not be able to read it. That's too tiny. Oh, and yours looks a little worn out. It is. That's good. A worn Bible is a sign of a strong life. That's Yeah, it's... Ooh! Are you speaking about yourself, or... It's not worn out, it's well used. Okay, oh, we'll roll with that, Richard. Turn to Genesis chapter 22 on our wisdom journey today. Genesis chapter 22, Travis, the beast... Bernard, what was your nickname at school in sports? Do you have a nickname? Uh, or can we share that publicly? We may. <laughs> never mind. I'm gonna take that back. Don't. Just. What was yeah. it?
1: Nard because of the office. <laughs> Nardog. dog.
0: Oh, is it because you can sing like Andy so well? No, no, no. Not at all. Not <laughs> just thought it was funny. <laughs> I wouldn't hear him sing now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis 22, we're going to read about the life of Abraham today. He's about to hit a test, a rough spot. King's kids, hold on. We're going to dismiss you
1: after we read this passage. So, Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moria. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you.
0: you are in second grade on down, I'd like to head to junior church. King's Kids, you are dismissed. We've got a couple waiting for you back there, I think. There we go. There are some blanks in your outline, uh, in, the, in the bulletin, if you want to follow along. This is, this is the mountaintop of Abraham's wisdom journey. It is also his darkest valley. It's not the middle of his story. It's near the end. In the next chapter, his wife is going to die. In the next chapter, the Bible transitions to talking about his promised son. And then he dies. So this is a picture, the Bible is setting this up to be a picture late in his life, late in his faith, late in his story. But it's never too late to believe. He's old and he's being tested. You're going to get old and you are going to be tested. Being tested is not a young man's game. It is a human game. And it's not even a game. Up from God's perspective it's brief we call it life we act like it's everything there is and we freak out when the littlest things go wrong not God he sees the end from the beginning he's the ancient of days your life is but a vapor and a breath an important vapor it's important enough God speaks to us and tells us to use it wisely Use it wisely. Take your son that you love and sacrifice him. We pick up in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son And laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God asked him to give up his son. I need you to understand this morning. God doesn't ask any less of you. He doesn't ask any less for your sacrifice. It's, your life is not less meaningful Your sacrifices are not less important. It's your life. It's all you've got. And God asks the very same thing from you. Whether you're seven, 77, anywhere in between, God has this story about this person and this book to teach us what God expects for all of us, from all of us. Have you grappled with that recently? Little people? Medium people? Older people? This is the heartbeat Of Christianity. You give. God. Everything. This is not an Old Testament. Phenomenon. This is not an outlier. In the Bible. This is not just a story that we bury. It's about him. It's about me. Am I. Willing. To give. God. Whatever. He wants. This story is not about Isaac. It's not about human sacrifice. It's about your heart. And if God doesn't have that, he really doesn't have anything. And if you haven't given him that, then you've only given him trinkets. We can't go any further in this story. <laughs> that, that is what this is about. All the rest that I'm going to teach you and preach at you this morning is small potatoes. That's the big idea. You have to wrap your head around it. You owe God everything. No matter how precious it is, no matter how important it is, no matter how much you love it, it has to be a small L in comparison to your love for Him, your allegiance to Him. God expects each and every one of us to love Him more than we love anyone, anything, even ourselves. That becomes the framework by which Jesus does all of His teaching. Loving one another as you love yourself, Loving others as he loves us. Comprehending the basics of love is what life is about. And this is a love story. Abraham, that, this is a love story. This is a battle of loves. What do you love the most? In this story, Abraham is painted as a new Adam. Like, yes, a new Adam. Somebody with faith, somebody with obedience towards Yahweh. But he's very clearly, we've seen the story, he's not the promised one. Back Way back in Genesis 3:15, 15, uh, God promised to send a deliverer. Abraham rises up, he's got the faith, he looks like the new Adam. He's flourishing, but he's not the promised one. Write that down. He's not the promised one. Capital P, capital O. He's not the one who's going to reverse the curse. But, oh, he was doing so great. He's a liar. He's a schemer. He's halfway obeying. He, he and his wife abuse an Egyptian slave. They have to send off a half-son. He's, he's not perfect. We got that, right? He's actually given in to temptation. Like, ah, he's not crushing it. But at the same time, God places before him late in his life this test of all tests. Write this down. This is not a choice between God and Isaac. Those are not the choices on the table when Abraham is on top of the mountain. I can choose God or I can choose Isaac. No, those are not the choices. That would be to defer the hardest decision in your life onto Isaac. This is not about Isaac. This is about you, chump. This is about your heart. I'm sure Isaac would, he would argue, right, if he, if he heard me say that. No, this is about me. What are you talking about? No this, no, this is not really about you. It's about what you represent. In the very beginning, verse 1, we're reading it. We see that this is a test. We see that this is a test. God tested Abraham, and I think Abraham could see that. He could see it was a test. He could see this was, he, yeah, of course this is a test. If I go, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he feels. But no test feels pleasant when it's personal. No test feels pleasant when it involves you and your heart and the people you love and the things you love. No test is pleasant. That's why it's a test. In verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God knows the love that Abraham has for Isaac. He knows. He knows it. God doesn't Look over it. God doesn't ignore it. He states it right up front because that would be my first argument, but I love him. God gets that argument, excuse, off the table immediately before Abraham can even open his mouth. God says, take your son, your only son, and I know you love him, so don't question me on this. I know who I'm talking about here. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't mean to say Ishmael. Go sacrifice that son. No. He's not the son of the promise. It's a three-day journey. Three. You always think of this story like God tells him, and he has this long night. He has many long nights before he gets to where he's going. This is not even a one-night dilemma. His stomach acid, his reflux is off the charts. Probably, he's probably not sleeping well. He's not eating well. He's not walking well. How do you take another step when you know what's about to happen? Brokenness. Brokenness. Three days of numbness, but obedience. Let me just kick you in the pants. Obey God even when you don't feel like it even when you're upset, even when you're depressed. Find ways to take the next step. Get up the next day and do what you can. Just just take the next step. Just keep moving forward and don't stop living. He doesn't. Verse 8. This is huge. Because the boy... Is also called a young man. We don't know what his age is. Isaac, the son. <clears throat> but he's old enough to uh, see the problem here. Uh, we're going to make a sacrifice, right, Dad? Yeah. I got the wood. You know how to make fire. We never sacrificed a donkey before. And we've never sacrificed our servants. That's all we've got. Where's the sacrifice? And like a good dad, verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. There are multiple ways to translate that line because going from one language to another, the location of your verbs and your nouns and your prepositions changes. But the point is still the same. God's going to have to do something. That's what he's saying. There's a little bit of certainty there, but there's also some vagueness, right? Interesting thing about that phrase. The word provide means see. It's translated mostly in the Bible as see. Kind of like see to it. The Lord will see about that. He'll see to provision he'll see to our need he's not providing from afar he's not seeing from afar the way abraham presents this and answers his son's question really speaks to the to the fact that abraham believes god is with him in this god is present he sees what i'm going through he knows what i'm going through he is with me he's not walking this alone He doesn't see that all of it rests upon him and his obedience. This whole narrative doesn't hinge upon him. He's a part of it. He has a role to play. But it's not all about what he can see. He sees that God sees what's going on. God will see to it. So here we have this story. God is calling Abraham up to a high mountain. He's calling them up to a place of worship. There's going to be an altar. It's going to involve trees. It's going to involve some decisions. It's going to involve some heartache. It's going to involve God's presence. These are the same themes from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Every one of us live this out. God calls us to His presence. That's our act of worship. But even in the middle of that, even in our sweetest times of obedience, There's a test, and to test of our hearts. Are we going to give everything to God, or are we going to hold something back? Is there a plan we're hanging on to that we're scheming, or are we going to release everything to God? Abraham passes the test. In verse 12. The angel of the Lord, who, by the way, immediately takes on the persona of God and the Lord. In verse 12, don't lay your hand on that boy. Don't do anything to him. Here's a good word. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know. Well, how? of course you know. You just, you know the end from the beginning. You know everything. If you're God, you know everything. But this word for know isn't just a intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential, hands-on, I know it because I've seen it. I know it because it has come to pass. It is to know something through experience and action. It's the same exact verb and form for how a husband knows his wife. That kind of intimate, experiential knowledge. Not just, I know what they're thinking, I know how they feel, but... We have spent time together, face to face. This is this is more presence language. Before it's Abraham, the Lord will see it. Now it's the Lord speaking. I have seen it. I am with you. I see it. I know it. You have passed the test. Per- personal. We didn't read it, but the following verses, verses 15 through 19. The covenant blessings are repeated to Abraham. It's still personal. I'm going to bless you and your family, but it's still universal. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. God reaffirms all of his covenants. Abraham has passed the heart test. We could call it a heart test, call it an idolatry test call it the priority test, call it the first commandment test, call it the first trust to drop, right? Whatever you want to frame that. the test. He was put to the moment, and he fell into God's arms. He went for it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Keep your finger in Genesis 22, but turn to Hebrews 11 for some supernatural insight. We believe the Bible is inspired by the Spirit of God moving and working in the hearts of men and women to write His Word. God gives some of those writers supernatural insight. Hebrews 11 is one such passage. Hebrews 11, verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested he offered up Isaac. We got that part. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Yeah, we got that. He lifted the knife. Of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Yeah, that's part of the story. Verse 19. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. That's new information Abraham believed God could would needed to raise Isaac from the dead so why is he we, why is this such a hard choice because it's not about Isaac Abraham knows Isaac is needed he knows God can raise the dead that's that's That changes the story. This story is not about losing Isaac because Abraham didn't believe he was going to lose Isaac. You see that? If he really believed that God could, would, and needed to raise Isaac from the dead, he's believing God promised this is my son. Through him, we are going to have a big family. Therefore, we have a dilemma. (laughs) We have a problem. Isaac is needed. Next blank. Jesus knows Jesus knows we never love properly without loving God first. Write that down. Jesus knows we never love properly without loving God first. The love we have for other people is never complete. It's never right unless we love God more than those people. So another way to say that is the next line. If we will love God first and foremost as the supreme treasure of our lives, it is then and only then that we can love others properly or in the first proper place and the right order. Remember, this is not about love God, love Isaac. It's about the priority that you're going to love them. The real decision here, Abraham gets to choose between God or himself. That's the decision. That's the same decision all of us are stuck with. That's the decision of Eve and Adam. Are we going to choose to take something on our own terms that we think is right and wrong and start defining life by our knowledge of what is good and bad and then we can tweak and rearrange what we think is good and bad? Abraham's been doing that his whole life. God puts him to this moment, give me your son. And Abraham, instead of taking, releases. So many people want God, but they don't come to God like this. They come to God like this: I want God. You can fit right here. Oh, I'll hold you right next to my heart. I'll give you everything. We, but there's something else that they love more. There's something else that has a higher priority in their lives. Sadly, what is common is that most people choose. Most people choose their careers, their colleges, even their homes based upon family instead of God. More, more people are prone to make huge sacrifices for their family rather than for God. I'm not saying that you need to sacrifice your family in any way, shape, or form, but I am saying that family can become an idol And you love it more than God. You cling to it more than God. And it guides and directs your life more than God. It can guide and direct your careers. It can guide and direct every decision you make more than your openness to what God really has in store for you and your family. It's a battle of loves. What do you love the most? It was Isaac. God made him stew on that for three days. And he released it. And in releasing it, he got it back. In giving it up, Abraham puts things in their proper order. In Luke 9, don't, don't turn there. I've got the notes and your outline. To another, Jesus said, hey, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another came to Jesus and said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In Mark 3, Jesus' mother and brothers came to find him. He was in the middle of a house teaching. The house is packed. He's in the middle of the house. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to Jesus and called to him. And the crowd was sitting around Jesus, and the crowd said to Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines family. Because God is supposed to be the highest priority. That's the point. That's the point when Jesus is teaching. That's the point when Abraham is being tempted. And when he is tested. That's the point for every single decision you and I have to make. God is supposed to be the highest priority of our lives. Family can be a priority. Small p, second place. But God has got to have the throne of your heart to rule and reign. And this even comes through more clearly with both Paul and Jesus' admonitions to be single. Well, how can I be single and carry out that multiply command from Genesis 1 and 2? You know, work, multiply, rule. If I'm not multiplying, if I'm not married, if I'm not having a family, Jesus redefines that too in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples. Disciples. Jesus does not command his disciples to go and make families. We don't multiply the kingdom of God first by having kids. We are multiplying the family of God by sharing the love of Christ that he saved us with to other people. Making disciples is a higher priority outside of your family than within. Now, if you have a family, making them disciples becomes a priority. Praise God for the single people we have in this church. Use it to God's glory. I praise God for the married people we have in this church. Lay down your life for one another and prove that God is the highest priority of your life. Your kids will never wonder where your priorities are if you lay your life down for them and let them know you're doing it because you're honoring Jesus. whether or not they get the big head and act like spoiled brats is not completely up to you God has given them a temperament that you need to learn to put up with God is giving you probably what you deserve it's going to be rough sometimes don't start elbowing kids even if they're grown kids I see you're going to there like but that's life God knows it God wants to know God wants to know if he is the highest priority of your heart. And he's going to test you. Why would God be so harsh? It looks harsh from your side of the equation, but from God's side of the equation, the testing, he's for you. He's giving you a chance to prove your love for him. He's giving you a chance to succeed. He's giving you a chance to unleash more blessings. He's giving you a chance to explode on you with his His grace and his favor and his love. It's not harsh from God's perspective. You think it's harsh because it's pushing on your heart and it hurts. You're having to choose between two things you love so much. That's because you've made God really small. That's the only time it's hard. When you've made God small, when you see God as big, when you see God as almighty, all gracious, all loving, kind, gentle, gentle, forgiving, It's going to look like you hate everything else because you love him so much. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the Bible is talking about. Abraham deeply believed that God would use Isaac. But he has a dilemma. Next blank. Trust God to fix your dilemmas. Just trust him. You don't always need to have a part in that, meddle in it. Be patient. Be kind. Do the things you already know you need to do. And some things you just have to let them play out. That hurt. Oh, man, it hurts when you can't help somebody and you know what they need. Oh, that's the worst. But they also have their test and their trial and their moment with God as well. And you can't help them do it. You just have to watch them pass or fail. Pass or fail. And it will be many times over. And so here is the life of wisdom. A life of wisdom chooses God over self. Write that down. Life of wisdom chooses God over self. A life of wisdom commits all things to God and lives, I just can't get over this idea, a life of wisdom lives open-handed. One, it hands everything off to God. This is your problem. My life is your life. But two, it can receive whatever God wants to give it. Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And the wise life says, fine, it's yours anyway. It's when we start to cling to things that our lives become toxic and our love becomes toxic and we become misdirected. If God gives you something, be faithful to it. Use it wisely, love it, take care of it. But remember, it's his, not yours. It's on loan. Live open-handed. How often do you think Abraham hugged that boy? He's basically his grandpa. He's old enough to be his grandpa. He's his granddaddy dad. I don't know what to call that. Something new, but he's he's doting upon that boy. It is the love of his life, the apple of his eye. He loves Isaac. I. Do you, how? What is the longest they ever spent apart? Zero. They probably were never apart. This guy has hundreds of servants. He's old enough now, he's just managing assets and resources. He's not working. His work is making sure everybody else works. He's arrived at this stage of life where he's probably not hands-on shepherding anymore. You know what I mean? He's managing. He's dealing with problems. All, hundreds of shepherds are coming to him. Hey, what do we do here? Hey, is it okay if we go here? We want to graze there. We want to graze there. Hey, we're having a fight. Oh, that's yours, that's yours. He's settling. Th- he's managing. He's the CEO of his family. He's the owner, the boss, and Isaac is always by his side. He's that boss who brings his kid to work. <laughs> he's that boss who, in the middle of a meeting, will say, hold on, guys, what is it, son? He's that dad. They're that close. This son is probably rarely out of arm's distance. It's that kind of a relationship. God knows it. God tests it. And Abraham says... God says stop. Yes. Yes. He worships. Just happens to turn around, there's a ram. (laughs) There's that lamb I said God was gonna provide. Like in his heart he knew God, right? He knew God. But then he also saw God provide. He saw When we live open-handed, God's presence will flood our lives. That's the point of the story. It's not between you and other things you love. It's not even between God and other things you love. It's between you and God. Choose wisely. Let God fix the, the, the dilemmas. Always choose God over self. And write this down. Faith can show up and broken people. Abraham is a lying, cheating beast sometimes, just like you. He schemes and isn't always patient sometimes, just like you. But when push came to shove, when he had to show his faith, he did. Same with you. Just don't wait till you're over 100 years old. You might not get there. He got there by the grace of God. But his story is your story. If God can use Abraham and show up, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Abraham had a proper fear of God. Remember that? A proper fear of God. The wrong fear of God means when we're in a hard hard place. The wrong fear of God, we jet. We run away from God. I don't like this. I'm out of here. That's the wrong way to fear God. I'm afraid God's going to do something, take something away. I'm afraid God is going to hurt me. I'm afraid God is going to judge me. When you have the wrong fear of God, you want to run away from Him. You don't understand what He actually wants. The proper fear of God, when we're broken, when we're hurt, when we're needy, when we're stressed, when we don't know what to do, the proper fear of God comes to God and says, here's my life. And the words of the hymn, take my life and let it be. Consecrate it fully, 100%. Take my hands, my heart, let them move at the impulse Not my love. Did you get that? Move my life according to loving you, not me loving myself. Abraham's problem wasn't loving Isaac. It was loving himself, his plans, his posterity, his seed through that kid. Wrong. But God used him. God can use you, even if you find yourself like that. The next couple of blanks. What do we learn from Abraham's life? We learn from Abraham's life, he deeply explains what living in God's presence looks like, what trusting God's words looks like, and what waiting for God's timing looks like in everyday life. He had to wait a long time to have that kid, so what did he do while he waited? He took care of the resources God had given him. He took care of his servants, and he took really good care of them. You had to really take good care of your servants if you ask them to go to war with you, right? He arms them. Like, if you're not a good master and you give that servant a sword, we're free, Right? Abraham is comfortable with these guys. He's raised them. They've been born in his household. He has an army of servants that love him. And he loves them too because he arms them and he leads the charge. Trusting them who have his back to actually have his back. What does he do? When he's in God's presence. We always see him building altars and worshiping. Building altars, making sacrifices. He's he's willing to give. He's willing to give his time, his energy, his effort. God's words. He takes them literally. When God said he's going to have a son, he believed it. He wobbled a little on that. God had to reaffirm it. God had to reaffirm it. And it finally happened. But he believed it. I'm going to give you this land. Walk around in it. He believed it. And he walked around in it. He took God's word, but he waited. You're gonna have to wait. I know your life is going a hundred miles an hour. It's busy. The world is bombarding us with information and activities, things to do, things to think, places to go. Do this assignment, then do this assignment. But they're on th- but they're on the same day. Do it. From childhood to young adulthood to old age, life is busy. And it's hard to just wait for God's timing. Last blank. Something else I see. This interaction didn't only change Abraham's life. If he's old enough to see the problem with the sacrifice, he's old enough to talk to his dad this story also changes Isaac forever. You want to talk about the potential to be the most spoiled and entitled brat on planet Earth. Him. He has everything set up to fail. He is the epitome of the trust fund baby. Doesn't need a thing. Won't ever have to Get a paper cut or a splinter. He's not going to get any poo-poo on his fingers from the sheep or the. This guy's never going to. He can wear white all day. How you guys doing? He's just, just spoiled. If anybody is set up to fail, it's this poor guy. But when you read the next few chapters of his story, he doesn't fail the same exact ways, and he does. He's not. He's not somebody we tell a lot of stories about. You want to know why? Because he leved, lived a very boring, faithful life. I, I want that. <laughs> I, he, I'll take that. He, he had his trauma. He saw he was there. So the last blank is, God saves Abraham and Isaac from self-lives. He saved them both that day. Don't miss that. I think the boy was weeping. Probably not weeping that he was about to die, but weeping because his dad was struggling. He felt his dad's pain. He probably heard the voice of the angel speaking. He, he saw the ram that was caught in the thicket and saw the ram sacrificed. Its blood spilled for him in his place provided by God, God himself will provide, changed his life. He becomes a faithful patriarch. What about you? I started off with the phrase, God doesn't ask any less of you, and I want to end with that. God doesn't ask any less of you. So what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? That's my question. Please don't raise your hand. Please don't shout it out. But search your heart. Is it an unnatural love for another person? A love that has placed somebody else above God's place? Is it a dream? Is it a career? Is it a school? Some achievement? Some money? something you're just living for other than God whoop replace those today search your heart as we sing in a minute pray about that and release it if God brings anything to mind that might be between you and him release it to him if you have any thoughts in the next few minutes about spiritual things spiritual living your priorities what you're living for what you're willing to die for Talk to God about it. Use this end of this service to make sure you are right with the Lord. And if you're not, and we're all done, come find me. Come talk to me. I'd love to counsel with you on that. Big decisions you make. Church members, call me throughout the week. Ask. You're struggling with something. You need somebody to pray with you about it. You're small groups. That's what we're designed for. To have a small group of people Who meet with you, pray with you weekly, follow up on you, give you accountability. You need to plug in. You need to be a part of that kind of family system. That's the family God has built. That's the kind of family your heart needs. Stand with me. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. What is it? that you have your fists wrapped around? What is it that you have your arms wrapped around and you do not want to give up? God owns you. Have you been avoiding prayer times? Have you been avoiding Bible reading times, devotional times, quiet times? you're going to find your life clenched and closed to what God has for you. Search your heart. Envision yourself opening your hands to God. See yourself releasing all of your earthly treasures to Jesus. You cannot embrace God and have all of Him When you are full of yourself. When you are full of your own dreams. When you are only focused on your own family. God, we come to you and we pray that you would help us to be like Abraham. Willing to give you whatever you ask willing to find you as our greatest treasure. Help us, God. Give us hearts that want more of you. And guard our hearts from coveting people and treasures and fame and notoriety on this earth. We surrender it all to you today. And say, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Take my life and treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for
0: thee. Hey, visitors, guests, uh, if you didn't plan on staying for lunch today we have plenty of hamburgers for everyone and if you already have lunch plans and you want to just come back we're going to wait to start the cornhole tournament till twelve thirty. so whatever your plans are you can stay you can go but we're going to be here for a few hours uh, just to get to know each other and you are welcome to stay we have plenty of food and i'm not telling you what the prizes are oh yeah there you have it our benediction for mr mark
2: This is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love.
0: Amen. God bless you. See you at lunch.